Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. Well, Brad, after two and a half years of looking for a business, I think I'm getting close. What? I know. I know. Yes. I know. I'm excited to talk to you today because, yeah, my partner and I, my partner Luke and I have been looking for a software business to buy for about two and a half years, as you know. I do know. And... I've been there for every, uh, you know, every step along the way. We're, a lot of close calls, a lot of near misses. I think we're getting towards the end. Uh, fingers crossed. I'm knocking furiously on wood here on my desk. But I thought it would be interesting today, too. So we're, we're getting towards the end. And at the end of the uh, diligence process, when you're going to buy a company, you sign a purchase agreement, right? I mean, this is the big contract. This is the thing that uh, they call it a purchase and sale agreement or sale and purchase agreement. I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But uh, this is the document that basically lays out all the final terms and conditions. And when it's signed, the money is wired and you own or we're going to own a company. Yeah. And once again, this is happening like weeks before you close the deal. You're signing, you're actually signing the agreement weeks before, not weeks, you know, you know, very early on into the process, like the last minute you're waiting to sign this thing. Yeah. No, yeah, literally, this is like the last thing, right? You sign this, the money usually hits that same day. And, you know, I think legally you own that company once that thing's signed, right? And so uh, maybe there's some, there might be some additional signatures required and some other stuff, but essentially that's it. It's so weird though, because you just spent all this time and effort and money I know. and you don't even know if you can buy it. It's thing. a little scary. So don't, rem- <laughs> don't remind me of that. I thought what we could do today is uh, we could kind of go through this document live on the air. Ooh, um, exciting. You know, we'll just hit the high points and maybe I'll, I'll sort of present it to you and I'm, I'll play kind of the buyer because that's essentially what I'm doing here and just love to get your reactions and you can play the seller. You can say like, hey, um, you know, this is how I want that- more money. <laughs> oh, great. We haven't even started. But I, I just think it'd be interesting to kind of, you know, there's always two sides in these transactions and, and terms that might feel totally reasonable or normal for one side feels very onerous to the other you know it's like funny you always in these situations like the other side will be like well that's a very seller friendly contract that's a very buyer friendly contract and you know the lawyers are always like no this is neutral so let's just see let's just see how this goes okay so brad first of all this is a this is a long document i'm looking i'm looking at a 60 uh, 57 page document oh my goodness is it is it at least spaced out it's not single (laughs) single spaced is Uh, it it, no it's single spaced oh no (laughs) Okay, so let's just go through this. All right, so we're looking at a 57-page Word document. Uh, we're going to go through every page in excruciating <laughs> no, detail. Let's not bore people too much. Okay, we start off with a table of contents, ladies and gentlemen. So we have a table of contents, and there's eight sections in this document. I will quickly read the sections. Brad, are you ready? Okay. <laughs> we have definitions, which is essentially a glossary. That's section one. Section two is the purchase and sale of parent shares and trusts. So this is the actual uh, details on the sale and the money you're going to spend. Section three, representations and warranties concerning the acquired companies. Okay, we're going to get into that. Section four, representations and warranties concerning the sellers. Okay. Section five, representations and warranties concerning the buyer. That one's a little shorter. <laughs> yeah, go, go figure. <laughs> Who drafted this? Section, yeah, the buyer. Section six, additional. Section seven, indemnification. Section eight, miscellaneous. Okay, so let's go into this. You know, I've actually sent out, as a, a buyer, sent out a contract with zero reps and warranties for the, for the buyer. Yeah, you just sent it out. Yeah, we're not repping anything. Wait, you've, you, when you've drafted a purchase agreement as a buyer, you've not included any reps and warranties? Yeah. Because you don't care? Well, I wanted to see if they caught it. Oh, like, well, wait, isn't that bad for you if you're the buyer? Or are you saying when you're selling? 
you know, we were buying an asset. Why would I give him a contract that has all these reps and warranties that I'm making? Oh, you were asking them for reps and warranties. But oh, you didn't oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So you had no reps and warranties yeah, for zero. the buyer. Got it. That's pretty funny. Okay, so we're not going to spend any time on the glossary. That's uh, oh, thank goodness. But essentially, this is where the lawyers basically just define a bunch of terms that are later, you know, you know, pop up later in the uh, yeah. In the agreement. This is a fun uh, gotcha that I found in contracts, right? With legal documents, everything is is capitalized, right? It is defined in the document. Yeah. So you actually could be you could be reading something, you think, oh yeah, no big deal. This doesn't mean anything. This word is but it's randomly capitalized. I wonder what that and then you go into the glossary and read it and you're like, oh my goodness, this is a hell of a gotcha on the deal. They're, <laughs> totally. they're basically I'm signing over the life of my firstborn here. No, that is so true. It's like, I, I, to, I totally agree. Like all of a sudden, just a random capital letter. Like, so instance, there's a defined term here called a uh, family member, right? And so you might be reading this document and think, yeah, family member. I know what a family member is. <laughs> but then you, it's actually a defined term earlier in the document. And actually, it turns out to mean a, a lot of things you didn't think involving estate planning and things like that. So who knows? But good point. So yeah, pay attention, read the glossary, make sure you know what you're signing. All right. So that's section one. That's a, that's a glossary. That's not that interesting to us. Uh, we're going to go into section two. So section two is called the purchase and sale of parent shares. So basically this is where we, I, I love this because you right off the bat, we're putting the purchase price in here and how much we're actually paying. Okay. And this is in the millions of dollars and it, inevitably it is lower than what you've agreed to pay the person who you're buying the company from. Yeah. This right? is ridiculous. What's going on here? Well, so essentially what's happening here is there's always, there's always an escrow account or a, what's called a holdback for, you know, if, if as the seller, you've sort of done something wrong or we didn't know about, and we're going to have to, we're going to get damaged by that later. We want to have a pool of money to dip into in case it turned out you lied to us or, or I don't remember agreeing to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, I, I think this is always a little nerve wracking because even though they know it's coming, usually you've negotiated this ahead of time. So did you, did you remind them when you sent out the purchase and sale agreement? Like, Hey, by the way, this FYI, includes, don't freak out, don't lose your, and not, you know, read, the rest of the 59 pages of this beast. Yeah. So like just for, you know, round numbers, let's say you're buying this thing for 5 million bucks and you've agreed to a, you know, a million dollar holdback, but all of a sudden now the purchase agreement says, Hey, we're going to pay you 4 million bucks. You're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Wait a minute. So yeah, Brad, I mean, I think you're, I think you're going to be okay with that one though, okay. right? You kind of know. Okay. Now there's actually, that would have been spelled out in the letter of intent. That was in the letter of intent. Okay. So there's, there's actually another escrow account as well. And this one might be a little bit of a surprise to you. What? So this one's this one's sort of for working capital. So, you know, let's say you're let's say you're selling a company, right? It would be very tempting to you as the seller of that company to say, you know what, I'm gonna pull in all my accounts receivable. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna call all the folks that owe me money. And I'm gonna say, hey, look, just, you need to just pay me immediately, or or you're in trouble, right? And so you could, you could, in theory, you could just pull all that in, right? And all you know, all this money that was essentially gonna be coming into the business over the next few months as accounts receivable came in. You've just you've just grabbed that. I've just got it the business. So yeah, exactly. And conversely, you could actually start extending all your payables, right? You could say, look, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna pay all my vendors. I'm just gonna hold off. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into debt here and credit or whatever, credit card, I'm not gonna pay my credit cards, I'm not gonna pay the bills that people are invoicing me. And you can imagine how that would be problematic for the buyer, right? Now they're stuck with a company that all the cash was pulled in and all of a sudden they're stuck with all these bills they didn't they didn't think we're going to have. Can you imagine the first person who got caught with that, right? Because <laughs> yes. you're benefiting from Somebody hundreds think, yeah. of years of you know broken deals and messed up you know transactions. So that's called a working capital adjustment. So Brad, we're going to hold back a little bit. Of, so not only are we going to true that, you know, we're going to figure that out at the closing, what the working capital should be and what it actually is. We're, we kind of know what it's going to be. 
But not only that, we're going to hold back a little bit more just in case we got that wrong. Man, so how many bites of the apple are you taking here? Totally right. So you got, you know, you start with the purchase price, you, you subtract off the holdback, then you subtract off any kind of working capital, you know, adjustment, and then you subtract off a working capital escrow account <sighs> where, you know, we're just holding money just in case. So yeah, it starts to, it's, it's a little weird. Gosh, for the, and then the tax man's going to subtract. Wow. What am I even left with? So, yeah, so, you know what? I'm not going to sell this thing. Oh shoot. Don't say that. So but yeah, right off the bat, you're already looking at a, a, a dollar value that's probably a little less than you were hoping, right? Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> Are you okay with this, Brad? I've already mentally spent the money. So I bought the house. It's in escrow. So I need the cash, man. So okay. yeah, go ahead. Gotcha. So you're, okay, you're what's called you, pregnant. You bait and switched me. Okay, so the, this is the, okay, so this is section, you know, this is section two. This is all the stuff around how much we're paying you. And then we're basically saying to you, hey, in 120 days... In 120 days, you're going to go back and we're going to true up that working capital adjustment that we did at the sale. You know, maybe you were wrong. Maybe you actually found some account receivables you didn't know about or some accounts payable you didn't know about. And we're just going to figure all that out. And that's then we're going to release the rest of that working capital hold back 120 days from now. So that's not too long, right? Yeah. And we have this in real estate too, this concept of a post-closing okay. escrow. And it's usually for things you couldn't iron out before you wanted to buy the thing. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm guessing and you guys will kind of quibble around how much long, how long that takes. Like, yeah, that, I yeah, guess it's back and forth. Of course, you know, the, the buyer wants that, uh, long, right? long and the seller wants that yesterday. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So that's there. There's not a ton more. That's really that interesting in, um, in the person sale, but essentially it's coming down to, Hey, here's so much money we're going to pay you. So this is, this is where people's eyes go first, I think. Right. Yeah. And then they start glossing over. Yeah. And then they start falling asleep. Um, okay, so then the next the next section gets into the following three sections are what are called reps and warranties, right? Representations and warranties, and essentially, and Brad, you, you'll understand this better than me because I think you've seen you know you've seen dozens of these, and I've seen a grand total of two. But essentially, this is as you know, this is one party kind of making promises to the other party that you know this is what is true, or this is what I believe to be true, or no, I didn't do any of these following. Yeah, things. so this is fascinating to me. So this section, at first, I used to spend way too much time on this section and fight over every word in it because I thought it was super important. Mm. Uh, and Are you saying it's not? Well, it's not as important as I initially thought. Because if you think about it, the reps that this person's making are only as good as their balance sheet. And then you'd have to go and fight to get it, right? So it's not like they're going to be holding back an escrow account. And this language you could use to go pull that money out of escrow. You have to sue somebody to get this stuff. So it has to well, be. No, we, so we have an escrow account for this. This is what our escrow account is uh, for. Oh. So you guys don't do that? No. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So our, the, you know, the, the, the 5 or 10% that we're holding back on the purchase price in escrow, this is exactly what this is for. So you don't have a separate reps and warranties for just the overall deal? Like a year from now, you could go back and, and sue the, the seller if uh, no, it was over a landfill or something, or there was some kind of legal issue that they didn't tell you about. Yeah. we have, So our remember, we have two escrow accounts. We have one for working capital, and that one goes away after 120 days. Yeah. But the, the bigger one, the one that's like 5 or 10% of the purchase price, that one sticks around for 15 months. And that's for all these reps and warranties that we're about to talk about. Got it. So you guys don't do that. So in real estate, nobody will give you that. No kidding. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. So I, I, I guess that's where my um, dismissal of the <laughs> reps and warranties comes into place because you still have to go sue somebody for this. You, oh, interesting. You, we still fight for it. Like you still want them to say, hey, look, you know, I'm not lying, right? And to the best of my knowledge, right? All these things start with to the best of my knowledge. We're not committing fraud or misstating financial statements. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're, they're, 
somewhat toothless. I mean, unless you go sue somebody. Yeah. No, it's interesting. So yeah, we, I think what people quibble over on these sections is like, so one, it's like, you know, there's certain reps and warranties like, look, how could I possibly know this? Or I don't know if this is true. So don't make me promise to this. That's always, that's one bucket. And the other thing I think people quibble over is like, okay, so in the event that this turns out to be a problem, like, you know, either I didn't know something or I was wrong, you know, then what's the process by which you can dip into that escrow account? You know what I mean? Like, you, do you have to tell me you're doing it? Do I, do I get a chance to rebut your argument and give, do you give me 30 days to kind of like prove that actually, no, you shouldn't have a right to, to uh, you know what I mean? There's a lot pure of like, rights. Yeah. Stuff like that. So there's a lot of back and forth, but you know, maybe, so I'll just give a couple of quick examples of what's in here. So I'm sure people are dying to know. Um, so like the first one, for instance, is just called organization and company power. And this essentially just says that the U S company is a corporation duly organized, validly existing and in good standing under the laws of the state of Delaware. And there's a bunch of other language, but essentially it's saying, Hey, look, yes, this actually is a business, you know, yeah. that was incorporated in Delaware. So yeah, even though, I've probably shown you documents that I've incorporated this business in Delaware. I'm just double checking here that, yeah, no, I didn't forge those. And I am, val I am warranting or repping to you that, yes, this is valid. This is a, a valid business. So there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know if we should really get into a lot of these, but you know, one of these is really all about um, authorization. So yes, I can sign and for the company and sell it, you know, or, or yes, we are the people that can sign for the totally. company. That one's a big one. So anyway, a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah. But so in practice, the, you know, each side wants to reduce the amount of reps and warranties or at least limit the language to, so sorry, soften the language is what they, the lawyers say. Oh, each side does? Yeah, each side tries in real estate to soften the language. Mm. So you have some wiggle room in your reps in case you made some silly mistake. Oh, right? Interesting. Okay. That's yeah, the, I, I, that, to the best of my knowledge. Got it. Got language it. that every lawyer inserts into, you know, most of these reps on the real estate side. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how they think about it here. Cause I, there seems to be so many of these things, right? It's like. You know, here's another one, accounts receivable or accounts payable. All of the accounts receivable of each acquired company are valid and enforceable claims and are not subject to any set-offs or counterclaims, yada, yada, yada. So it's like, hey, all these things that I'm showing on my balance sheet that, are, that I'm calling accounts receivable, like those are really accounts receivable. So it's just a lot of like, it's a lot of just basically forcing the seller to say, yes, everything I'm showing you is true. So, which I guess... Gosh, I hope my controller is good because I don't know what, you know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so anyway, we go through this. There's a bunch of different, there's, some, there's ones about suppliers, there's customers, again, probably saying, yeah, all these customers really exist. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is like, this is like, well, I don't know, I'm just scrolling through this, Brad, but this, is, this to me looks like it's like 15 pages or something like that, right? Yeah. So this is like the, this is like the meat of the agreement, right? Um, I think the other thing I would say about this one is that um, there's two classes of reps and warranties do you guys have this concept of fundamental reps and warranties and non-fundamental reps and warranties no so so we basically they're saying hey there's 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 two different groups of reps and warranties there's one group which is called fundamental which means you this is in your control and you you will know if this is true or not so like for i don't know like uh yeah. this that what i just said about hey this is a valid company organized and you know by the laws of delaware all that stuff it's like you should know if this thing is a valid organization or if you're just completely bullshitting us but there's a lot of other stuff where it's like, I don't know, like, hey, there's, you know, there's no um, future, you know, if no employee lawsuits out there that I didn't know about. It. And there's other, there's other things I think you Critical just and non-critical. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's just stuff that you wouldn't, it wouldn't be in your control and you couldn't for sure know, but to the best of your knowledge, you're saying is true. And so that's interesting. Those are kind of treated differently. Like there's, there's sort of a bigger penalty essentially for 
violating the fundamental reps as opposed to the non-fundamental yeah. reps. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, for instance, like you might, you know, you might, you might, uh, cap the, you might cap the violations of the non-fundamental reps and warranties. Hey, look, you can, you know, I, I don't know these to be true. I think it's true, but you can really only come back to me for, and penalize me for X percent of the purchase price if these things turned out to be not true. Whereas with the fundamental reps and warranties, it's, it's, it's either uncapped or it's capped at a pretty high, high value, like maybe even like all the way up to the total well, that purchase makes, price. That makes more sense than losing it all for some random thing that you didn't know about. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we'll keep going here. So that's, so again, I mean, literally this thing is like, <clears throat> this is 20 pages. So this is the reps and warranties of the sellers. So the, the next one is actually the reps and warranties of the, uh, uh, was that the sellers or was that the company? Okay, so that was the uh, company. So there's literally 20 pages of like, hey, the co- I warrant this to be true about the company. So now we're actually talking, there's another section called representations and warranties concerning the sellers. And so oh this, my is, goodness. this is stuff about like, you know, first one here, you know, section 4.1, ownership of shares. The sellers are the owners of and have good and valid title to and unrestricted power to vote and sell free and clear of any lien, all of the parent shares of the company. So you know, essentially they're saying, yes, we, you know, we, we do own these shares. You know, these actually aren't owned by somebody else. I'm just not telling you that. So this is uh, kind of more about them personally and, what, and what, what's in their control. Um, here's one that's litigation, right? There are no action suits, proceedings, or orders pending to any seller's knowledge threatened against or uh, affecting see, any it seller. Is. There yeah. it is. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know about that $5 billion lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I wonder, I wonder, it's funny cause then, you know, they don't, it, they don't tell you in this section if they're fundamental or not fundamental, they just list them all. And then in the next section they say, okay, so of the like 40,000 we just listed, <laughs> you know, these 412 are considered fundamental and these, you know, whatever. Yeah. Of the 30 we just told you about, you really only needed, needed to read one of those. Okay. So now we got another, that was another, what, four or five pages on the seller. So now we get into the representations and warranties concerning the buyer. Yeah. There's like two of them here. <laughs> Actually one page. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is what happened. So uh, it makes more sense. Yeah, it's I mean, like, look, look, do you have the money or not? Yeah. At the end of the day, you're getting cash and you're walking away. Yeah. We're, we're going to be stuck the, with the this cash business. solves a lot of question marks. Yeah. So this is, there's really only a few of these. So um, like, you know, the first one is organization and company power. It says, uh, you know, buyer is a U.S. Inc. with duly incorporated and registered under the existing laws of Delaware. So it's just saying, hey, yeah, we're we're for real. Um, authorization of transactions, similar. Hey, we have the full organizational power and authority to execute and deliver this agreement. Ooh, very All, official. Um, non-contravention. No idea what that means. I did read that though. Um, anyway, I'm sure it uses the words non-contravention in the definition. <laughs> And then uh, brokerage, there's no investment banker, broker, finder, other intermediary. This is a big one. Yeah. Right? You don't want to find out that some broker, you know, sues the deal post-closing because they didn't get paid. Or there's some weird ulterior motive around the broker you didn't even know about. Okay. So that was the reps and warranties. So now we're actually, we're already at page 41 out of a 57 page agreement. Oh, thank goodness. So it's really, and I think those, you know, those are the meaty sections, right? So now this one is sort of some, this, this section is just called additional agreements. I'm going to skip through this. There's some, some tax issues here. Um, there's a non-compete in here where, hey, like we're, we're telling the sellers, you can't just go out and start another competing business the next day. You that need to, seems important. Yeah, you need to sign up. Well, so how long is kind of market for that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think market's probably a 
couple of years, maybe two or three years. How long do I have to go to the beach before I can <laughs> exactly. come in and well, kick that happens, your butt again? Right? I was listening to a podcast the other day by the, uh, the guy who w- worked at Men's Warehouse, or the guy who started Men's Warehouse, George Zimmer, I think his name is. Yeah. And I think it was like literally the day his non-compete ended. He like went out and started a competing. That's uh, right. He men's, did. Yeah. Yeah. That guy just loves to work. Yeah. He's got a great voice. You're going to like the way you're going to like the way you look. look. Okay. So let's keep going here. Now, section seven, indemnification and related matters. So this is what I was mentioning when I said that, hey, we're going to, we're going to call certain reps fundamental. We're going to call certain reps not fundamental. And now we're going to tell you how much, how much you basically have to pay if any of this goes wrong. You're indemnifying us. I mean, you're taking on the risk. Um, So anyway, a bunch of language around that. Yeah, indemnification is a fancy way of saying, like, look, we're not going to blame you. Yeah, well, like, you're indemnifying, you sellers are indemnifying us buyers, right? Like, you're you're not going to, we're not going to have to pay for this. You're going to take on this risk, right? Yeah. Um, Thank you. Are we we right on that? Yeah, we're right on that. Um, Each seller shall severally and not jointly pro rata in proportion to their pro rata percentage indemnify and hold harmless the buyer yeah, so they're indemnifying the buyer. Um, are you familiar with this whole severally and not jointly term? Yeah, so that's that's a fun lawyers, one. Lawyers love this. Yeah, love this stuff, right? Well, because it's uh, look, we're going to get it regardless, kind of thing, because there's multiple parties involved, and so either we can go after all parties or we can go after one party. Yeah, or it's like. I think if it's several and joint, you can go after each party individually and all the parties together and actually... Oh, sorry. That's what I have read it as. No, this says severally and not jointly. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's interesting. Well, they, yeah, Almost every loan you'll ever sign is several and jointly, so well, they could do whatever they want. In this particular case, the seller negotiated this into the LOI, so they, they kind of got ahead of this because I think I think you would start off with several and joint, but well, again... You, you agreed to it, huh? You just laid down <laughs> for it, huh? Oh my gosh, I don't want to get into that. Sorry. No, I mean, no more just memories. That was a little longer than I'd liked. So, yeah, and so look, there's this is, you know, at the end of the day, this is where we say, okay, except with respect to the losses that arise out of the fraud and intentional misrepresentation. Okay, so you're basically saying if you if you lie or intentionally yeah, yeah. misrepresent, that's a problem. So like, this is like a bad boy carve out in the loan. Yeah. Which but, is like, look, if you if you actually committed fraud and you're a criminal, then all this other stuff about indemnification doesn't apply. Yeah. So we're we're basically capping the amount of losses that the indemnified party may recover at it looks like we're capping it here at 10% of the purchase price. And again, that was negotiated in the uh, LOI. I think usually would go higher. And that's for uh, man. I really I want to steal some of this stuff. That's pretty good. I'd love to put in kind of percentage of purchase price if you if the seller misstated some stuff, right? And then here's the fundamental. They're saying, okay, except with respect to losses that arise out of fraud, intentional misrepresentation, or intentional breach, yada yada. Can't lie. So if it's a fundamental rep, meaning this is one that you had total control over and you should have known, then the losses are capped at the purchase price. So you can the most we can ever get back is the total amount we spent on the business. There you have it. So yeah, but that's you know that's an important section, right? There's no liquidated damages here. There's just, gosh, don't ask me that. Okay. I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's in here somewhere. <laughs> um, and then there's a bunch of stuff around the procedures of how you actually go about disputing these claims and stuff like that and getting the money. Um, but yeah, and then that's it. There's a little miscellaneous section here. I'm not even going to read it. It's only a few sections that's long. Fun. Uh, and then we get to the end, and we there's some signature blocks. And there's probably, there's a bunch of schedules. I, I didn't kind of get into this, but. Exhibits? Exa- yeah, a lot of exhibits and schedules where it's like, hey, list out all your top 25 customers or list your your biggest, uh, you know, vendors or things like that. There's 
the the uh, seller is going to have to attach a bunch of exhibits to this thing when they. The exhibits yeah. are always like the last. Everybody punts to the last minute on the exhibits because yeah. you're just always like, oh, gosh, that seems like a lot of work. Oh, I know. I, I just want to sign this yeah, thing. Yeah, like you're late at night the night before you're going to sign it, just like furiously creating exhibits in Word. Yeah, or in Excel. My favorite thing is when you're doing it in Excel and you try to switch it over into Word and it's just not formatting correctly <laughs> and you just want to shoot somebody. You're like, I can't do it. Just, I give up. That's when you just screenshot it. No, that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Especially with, you know, some seller who's, you know, 70 years old. A lot of screenshots. Yeah. So there you have it, folks. That is a purchase and sale. Or is it sale and purchase? What? Is, what um, purchase and sale agreement. I'm like, I'm, okay. I'm Like I said, I've only seen two. This one says purchase and sale. Yeah. Okay. So purchase and sale. But then why do they say SPA? Because that sounds no, to me like... No, they don't say. They PSA. Yeah, like, no, they say SPA. That's usually... Wow, a, crazy private equity people. Anyway, purchase and sale agreement for... I mean, for why, why should I be surprised that they got the letters backwards when you, you end up signing the purchase agreement backwards <laughs> yes. right at the end yeah. versus the beginning? This is like a cap rate versus multiple conversation. Yeah, it's again. just totally flipped. It is funny how different... Uh, your world is than mine. Everything makes everything no goes sense. In different I mean, literally, you just like the seller could just like, ah, I changed my mind. I think this is why people don't swap back and forth very frequently. It's just like once you get into the one of these. Yeah, because you're in your groove. You're like, this makes, I, I can't do it business this way. Yeah, it's like standing on the ceiling. Well, so we just, you know, went in the minutia here. But what should you be focusing on when you negotiate these documents? Gosh, you know, I, I would say at a very high level, there's business issues and there's legal issues. You know what I mean? So like, totally. and you have to just be very clear with your lawyer about, Hey, that's a business issue. That's my decision. And to clarify business issues will usually get hashed out over the LOI. Yeah. I mean, I, most yeah, of the time. For, the, for the most part, although there, man, these documents are just so long. There's just inevitably stuff in there. You know, like whether we're calling something a fundamental or non-fundamental rep and warranty, that might be a legal issue. Say, look, yeah. I'm, I'm going to trust you, Mr. And Mrs. Lawyer about that. But if, you know, whether or not, um, you know, you're the, the you're, numbers, right? It's so the cap on that 10%. That's a business issue to me. Yeah, that's, you know, I think you're right. I think that's, you know, look, I'm willing to stomach, you know, a, a higher cap because I'm so confident that I'm, I'm right about what I'm repping and warranting that don't worry about it. So I think, yeah. So I, the way I think about it is that the, the things that revolve around numbers are the business issue. That's interesting. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, 90%. That's right? a good one. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. You know, like even like the escrow amount or something like that. Yeah, right? the escrow like, amount or who pays what in escrow, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Closing costs, that's a real estate thing. But mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I guess my point there is like, just, you know, make sure you have clear boundaries with your lawyer. Like, hey, like this, I'm going to take, I'm going to go ahead and weigh in on this and, and ultimately make the decision. And versus, hey, I'm going to trust your guidance. If you think we should be pushing on this or fighting for this because it's a legal issue, then then uh, so be it. Yeah, and this is the hard part. This is why, why great lawyers are, are worth the money yeah. is because there takes a certain level of experience and skill here because the, you know 99% of this stuff is not going to matter, right? 99% of these words aren't going to be applicable to anything regarding the deal. And so you need lawyers that, one, are kind of good, good at seeing the forest through the, the trees, right, and knowing what to fight for. Uh, but also lawyers that actually care because it, if I was this per, you know, drafting this document, I'd be like, oh, well, if anything happens regarding this section, it's probably going to happen 10 years from now and I'll be on my boat because I've already retired because I've made so much money as a real estate lawyer or <laughs> sure. private equity lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and so you need lawyers that actually like really like get competitive about this stuff too and, and want to make sure that their clients are covered because most of the stuff, the business people don't really even, you know, they're not even going to be thinking of that in that much detail. That's true. Although you, you, you don't want them to be so. Yeah. It's a balance, of, you know, dug in on certain issues that you can't get the deal done. Yeah. I, 
I was the way I think about it. So I agree with you. And I think I think about it this way. So like a good lawyer will just make you aware of all of the risks of what you're signing and say, look, you know, here's the following things that are riskier. Here's what could go wrong. And but a great lawyer will be like, look, you know, of those 10 things I just told you, don't worry about these nine. Yeah. Here's you know, what here, matters. Here's what matters. Like, let's focus on this. And like, let's just like, like, you know, not worry too much about this other stuff. And we don't have to. You know, we can give a little maybe on those. Yeah. And so, so. that's why I, I love to work with real estate lawyers who also have, you know, some kind of entrepreneurial experience or they, they've done their own deals for their own account because then they, they also think like a business. Owner. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. There's definitely some very commercial lawyers that are wonderful at their craft and are, are worth their weight in gold. And, and they actually charge you in gold, essentially. Yeah. Go figure $1, it out. $1,000 an hour. Okay. So there you have it. So uh, sale and purchase or purchase and oh, sale. Oh, my goodness. I can't get that right. You know, hopefully one of these days, everyone out there, you you guys will have to be negotiating one of these either on the sell side or the buy side. And uh, hey, good oh. luck. Good <laughs> luck. And don't fall asleep when you're reading. Thanks for listening to The Alternative Investor. Since you made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.